You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Part two of our conversation with the great Derek Holland. We spent uh, part one talking about Derek's career up to really through 2010. Uh, and spent a lot of time talking about his time at Wallace State Community College and how influential that was. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, go back. Uh, if you're listening to this one, then it's probably right there uh, in that that link that uh, you clicked on to listen to this episode, part two. You can find part one. Uh, but want to continue with Derek. And uh, I, I guess, Derek, the first question I want to ask is about 2011 uh and just how is that something you think about a lot does it bother you the way that ended or do you not really think about it a ton from like that standpoint and instead just think about some of the great things that took place that year uh i mean obviously in 2011 that was an outstanding season for me uh it was also a good time to uh you know what we got to experience after what we just went through you know in 2010 i thought the way the season ended, yeah, that sucks, obviously. Uh, it'll bother you for sure. But at the same time, you got to look at the, the great things that came out of it. You know, I, I get a lot of people when I stream, for instance, my video games, or you know, if I run into people on the, the radio when I do interviews with other shows, there's always somebody that makes that comment of, well, if Nelson Cruz would have caught the ball, well, that's the thing that bothers me is it's not about that. Like, people don't understand what had happened before. The hamstring, you know, he tore his hamstring on that play. The other thing that really stands out is Dave Anderson. We can look at the video. If we could go back and get it. Moves Nelson Cruz. They move him. I shouldn't specifically say Dave Anderson. I think it was part of the, the plan was to move him due to the shift. You know how baseball is now. We're constantly moving guys. <clears throat> so they had just kind of moved him out of place. He just barely missed it. It's one of those things that it just happens. Like it's, you know, he catches it. We're talking a different story. He missed it. We're, you know, we're living a different time now so it's, it's one of those things that yes it's frustrating it, it sucks um obviously it took a little bit to get over it but i also look at the bright side of it look at what it's done for me personally uh, it's made me stronger made me a better person and pitcher because of the experience that i got to go through i think that's the the number one thing that's important is i get it we lost and there's always going to be a loser at some point when you play against things it's you know we don't get a participation trophy just because we went to the world series we got to face the facts we lost they were the better team that day, they won. They got us then, and then they got us again the next day in Game 7. Those are things you got to take into uh, the situation. When you play any game, there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. Unfortunately, we happen to be the loser, and it, it, it does. It sucks. It's, I've had dreams about it. I've relived it multiple times in my head. You know, we always wish for different scenarios, but it's one of those things you just got to gotta take it and you got to understand that what it did for you, how what it did for this city, um, to be able to say that we were at the World Series and be able to go back-to-back, I mean, that's, that's a huge accomplishment. You know, 
people don't look at it that way. I get it. We lost, and people are upset by that. But look at the bright side. We went back-to-back World Series. That's a hard thing to do. And then came back in 2012, and, and I know that didn't necessarily end the way anyone wanted, but it's not like you guys totally were a non-factor in 2012 either. Yeah, that's, see, that's the thing, too. Is we, I don't think we missed the playoffs, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, until after 2016. Well, yeah, so there's the 2014 year with all the injuries. Oh, yeah, yeah, shoot, I forgot about it. Okay, there yeah. you go. So we, we missed, but we bounced right back the following year. Yep. You know, that's, you know, I think with what we did with that team and what we got to accomplish, was that's huge, man. We, we did a lot during that time span. Uh, a lot of credit goes to the front office and Wash and his staff and, and keeping us where we need to be. You know, that was huge. But, yeah, like you said, like, for 2011, it, it was it was frustrating. It was a tough time, but I feel like you know we handled ourselves very well. We bounced back. The following year, unfortunately, we didn't get to go as far, uh, but it was still a learning process, and I think we got to do a lot of great things in that time. Well, how much does the Rangers organization mean to you? I know that you know obviously you you probably would have loved to have played your entire career with the Rangers, and it, it, it you know hasn't worked out that way, but. Uh, that's where you got your start, and, and you had some of these memories. As you've gone on and, and played for different organizations, I'm sure there are things that those organizations do that, that pump you up and, and you know, that you, you take some of the, the great of those organizations. But at the end of the day, what, I, what even today, as, as you are a part of different organizations, what do, what do the Rangers mean to you? Well, the one thing I will say, and people who know me know this is exactly how I, I am, after what I got to experience in 2011 in the World Series, it was a big disappointment. It did suck that we, you know, we didn't get to win. But I would give anything to be able to put that uniform on again and try and go to the World Series again and help the city get a World Series. I mean, that was the team that started it. I know I'll probably get criticized for it by other teams that I've, you know, that I'm with and everything. Like they're going to make it seem like I'm not into it with those teams. But my goal is to win every single game whenever I play, forever, whoever it is. It's no doubt. But for somebody who started their career in Texas, who played in Texas for majority of his career, I mean, 80% of my career, at least 90% of it has been in a Texas Rangers uniform. And for me, I'd give anything to, to get a World Series. I would, I would literally trade in my great performance just to be able to say that I got a World Series championship for the Texas Rangers. Just because the city has done so much for me. It means so much to me. This is my home. This is where everything was. I mean, this is where it all started. So for me, I would I would do anything to be able to put that uniform on and, and get these guys a World Series. Uh, Derek, uh, you know, thankfully, I, I I believe as best as I know, you know, you've you've been able to stay healthy here recently. But I guess towards the end of your your Rangers time, you were, you're dealing with injuries, and uh, uh, maybe it started in uh, you know you had in 2015 uh, against the Astros at home. Uh, you know, this is going to be a, a big comeback year for you. You know, your, your age, everything, like it just was pointing in the right direction. You have the, I think it was like a, what, a subscapularis, something or another. How did you deal with injuries and, and injuries getting in the way of, of whether it was development or uh, just at that time of your career? You know, I think it's like one thing if you, you have to deal with injuries when you're 38, 39 years old, but at the time of your career when you were having to deal with all these injuries, how did you deal with it and how did you grow from it as a person? Oh, for, for me, I think something that stood out is 
after having the first injury, um, you know, when I got hurt and had the knee surgery, it was a lonely time, man. It was, it was, uh, it felt like I was a ghost walking in a clubhouse and, you know, I kind of went about it like, you know what, this is, this is my own fault. I'm in this situation. I've gotten hurt. I got to do what I can to, to still be a good teammate. And then you know, I did everything I was supposed to, to get ready and to come back. Uh, I just kind of messed myself up by coming back and I created a bad habit with my mechanics because of the, the knee injury. So that was something I had to kind of work with and to get all the way there. And then all of a sudden, you know, get that opportunity to be opening day starter for, uh, for, the, for that season, and then to get out there and get hurt on the first pitch, uh, it actually hurt me when I was in the bullpen. But you know, I was trying to play through it because you got guys like Adrian Beltre who who played through so many injuries, and it just gave you that strength and that that courage because you felt if he can do it, I can do it. But there's a difference. Like when he pulled me aside after I got done, after I got hurt that game, uh, he pulled me aside. I'll, I'll never forget. He was like, "There's a difference between what I was playing through." And what you're trying to play through. And it, it meant a lot to me because he's always been somebody who's been great to me, helped me out with my career. Uh, and the thing was, is he's like, I can play through, you know, a tore hamstring or whatever the case may be, but, you know, you're throwing with your shoulder. You can't try to play through something like that. And, you know, it was a valuable lesson that I learned is trying to be a hero of playing through an injury that is something that I'm really going to use the entire time. And it costed me and it costed my teammates. And I, I'll never forget that. But then the next year, you know, you get hurt. So it's three straight years. I realized that third time, you literally do. You feel like an absolute ghost in that clubhouse. And it's, it's extremely, extremely lonely and depressing. So I made sure, you know, that following year, I was going to do whatever I could. If I got hurt, I was going to make sure I was the best teammate there was. If somebody else got hurt, I was not going to let them get stuck in that same isolation that I was in. I wanted to make sure I could provide just like those guys did for me, be a good teammate, and make sure I could talk and keep guys through it so they don't get that same feeling that I had. Because I'm not kidding. It is a very, it's a very lonely, depressing spot because you can't do anything. You're watching your guys play, and you want to be out there playing with them, and you can't. You don't get that opportunity because you're hurt. And you're trying to do everything you can, but at the same time, you've got to be smart so you don't hurt yourself even more. And, you know, you mentioned giving back to teammates. I don't know uh, how it is with everybody, every organization, but you always had someone living with you uh, in Arizona, you know, maybe even in the Metroplex. You were always taking someone under under your wing. Where did you get that from? I mean, was that something that older players did for you, so you were paying it forward, or is that just – I mean, I, I guess I kind of maybe know that – in, in some ways, that's just how you are as far as being giving and loving and inclusive. But, you know, I remember we first met, and I don't know if you remember this, but we first met spring training 2015. It was my first year in this role uh, in Glendale, uh, and you were with Jake Smolinski because I think Jake was living with you at the time. Uh, and yeah. there was there, you, you always had someone with you, not just because you, you love the company, which I know you did, you're a social person like that, but because you always were taking someone under your wing uh, or just giving them a place to stay when you know they're making pennies or whatever it might be, what, what pushed you down that path, I guess? Um, well, one, you're, I mean, you're right. I don't like to be alone. I've always been <laughs> that, that way. <laughs> it sounds so bad, but, I mean, at the same time, it's just I, I want to be around people. I, 
I can't stand being by myself because I, I lose my mind. Like, I'm not going to lie, during this whole quarantine time, you know, it's me and my fiance, and we <laughs> we get bored. I mean, we got to do stuff. We're trying to stay as active as we possibly can, and it's so hard because there's not much we can do. Like, I told you today that I was going to be doing this interview outside playing golf because it's the first time I can truly get outside and play golf and be in front of everybody, or I mean, not be in front of everybody, sorry, be out and about playing a sport, being active, doing something. And the the whole purpose of this, how this all started for me was because of Eddie Gordano, Darren Oliver, Ian Kinsler, Michael Young. Those guys showed me the way. I'll never forget, Eddie Gordano bought me a suit the day I got called up. He said, hey, look, we're going to get you a suit. You're in the show. You know, we got to clean you up. Here's the thing that bothers me about nowadays that it gets lost in translation because people look at it as a negative. I got hazed. We all did. All of us rookies always got hazed. But at the end of the day, there was a point to it. It wasn't to make us look like idiots or embarrass us or whatever, just to make fun of us. It wasn't like that. It was, it was stuff that made me better, stronger, and actually more uh, involved with a lot of the guys. Like, you know, one of the coolest things it, to other people, it might bother them, but one of the greatest memories that I have is I just sing the national anthem uh, to my entire team and uh, others at the ESPN zone in Maryland when we were playing against Baltimore. And to me, like, that's a hazing. But people are going to look at that and they get so caught up in it as a negative that it got me to actually get out of my shell of being quiet, I guess, even though I've, I've always been the the talkative person, the energetic guy. But when you first get somewhere to the big leagues, you don't want to be that guy. You're trying to be calm, quiet, you know, you're not trying to draw too much attention because you got to respect those veteran guys. Uh, and if, you know, they tell you to do something, you got to do it. But we get so caught up in this whole hazing. To me, I think that was something that got taken away that I think it helps the game. It helps humble a lot of guys so that they don't get super big headed or, you know, anything like that. I, I thought being hazed was, was great for me. That's me personally. It could bother other people. That's fine. But to me, I think it was something that helped me out a lot. Uh, it got me closer with my teammates, got me to learn a lot, taught me a lot. But I think that's just one of the things that we lose is the stuff that we get to experience with the hazing and the, the memories and stuff. And it all, like I said, the whole thing started for me was by watching all my veteran teammates. I, I couldn't say enough about these guys that I had. I mean, I had Blaylock, I had Millwood, I had Catalanado, I had all kinds of guys that some of them may not have had that much time. Some of them had a lot of time, and they treated each other as family. They were always there for each other. They always helped the young guys, no matter what they did, whether they hate them or whatever it was. They still helped them. They they treated them very nicely, and that's something that, like I said, it gets lost because people look at that negative and they take it the wrong way. They don't realize that there was more positives to it to help us, you know, I had to dress up for Eddie and yeah, I dressed up, but he also took care of me. He took me under his wing. Like people don't see that because they, they just see the part of me being hate. And that's, that's what gets missed a lot. And that's why it, it upsets me is, man, I got taken care of so well. And I learned so much from those guys and how to take care of the younger guys. And I made sure, like you said, I always had somebody with me and it was always a younger guy just to help them because you, you made another good point was the money. You know, they're not making what I was making. And granted, I didn't have a contract at the time when I was taking care of some of these guys. And I still made sure that 
I had already made enough to take care of myself that I want to be able to help those guys save up money so that they can do the exact same thing. All right, now, another thing that I think really separates you, some professional athletes are totally isolated and almost never interact with fans, and then others are like yourself where you, know, you are very available to fans. Uh, you know, you'll... Uh, you know, in the gaming community, but just the signing autographs and taking times to interact with with fans. Where, where does that come from? And and what uh, I guess what led you to to be so accessible and and so uh, available to fans in, in a way that you know puts smiles on their faces. This one's going to be great to you. This is going to be something uh, that really stands out. I'm I'm playing golf with my brother right now, so if he, he's probably going to hear it too. Is I'll never forget the day that we went to go see the Philadelphia Eagles. My brother's an Eagles fan. I grew up kind of just following his footsteps, doing everything he was doing. And there was one guy that we wanted to go see, and that was Randall Cunningham. And I remember taking a football, and I made sure I was the first guy in line. I mean, there's no you – know, you know how it is when you get there and – damn it. And, uh, Bad shot? Yeah, it was. <laughs> and you're, and you're, you're waiting – you're waiting to uh, get the autograph of these guys, and there's always that little fence or whatnot that, that keeps you blocked away from them. Well, I remember being the first guy, yeah, first guy up there, and I had the football. I was so excited. Here comes Randall Cunningham, and next thing I know, there's a herd of people, and they swallow me up. I'm only like seven years old, maybe. Swallow me up, and next thing I know, I'm at the back of the line. I can't see Randall Cunningham anymore. I was like, holy crap, this is not cool at all. So I'm, I'm waiting patiently. I walk away. I don't get his autograph. And I kept thinking to myself, man, if I ever get to be in that situation, I want to make sure I try to get to everybody. And sure enough, my brother was nice enough. He had his autograph. He was going to give me his football, but, I, you know, we kept it, whatever. Obviously, we don't need to worry about that because he's still got it. But I remember just getting, the, getting there in line to try to get an autograph and watching the little kid, me, seeing myself like reliving it go from the front of a line to the back and you know just as well as i do people that go get autographs they don't care about the kids that are out there or anything like that they will go right over top of them and make sure that they can get the autograph and not worry about the kid who's really wanting the autograph and if that makes i mean i hope that makes sense absolutely i know there's a lot of a lot of selfish people that are out there that do that but then there's also a lot of people that take care of those kids and make sure that you know they get the autographs and stuff too and that's one thing i can say about sex is the the fans there i really haven't had any issues so i don't want it to seem like any place has been worse than any other place because it's definitely not but it's just the kids the kids usually get pushed back or the kids get here you go get this autograph for me because he's going to sign for a kid and then they get the card and then they leave and the kid's left with nothing. So stuff like that, I've always made sure after experiencing that with Randall Cunningham, which by the way, I, I, moral of the story is I did get the autograph eventually <laughs> from him. Just to throw, like, I was going to get to that point, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, people see what I was trying to say. And it just, from there, I was just always inspired to make sure that I got the kids taken care of. I got the people that I need to get taken care of and try to just be, as accessible as I possibly can and interact with the fans because they are the people that make us who we are today. Without them, we'd be nothing. 
and that's just the honest truth. I mean, if you think about the game, like, for instance, you know, we're possibly, I guess the rumor is we might try to play with no fans in the stands. It's going to be so weird because they, the, the they, they are what it is that brings the excitement to the stands. And when you're out there pitching and you hear them roar, like, that helps. That, that gives you more energy. I mean, it could be the fifth inning, bases loaded, two outs, and you need that extra roar from the crowd to get you fired up even more. And I mean, it's just one of those things that helps you, I guess, be more – I don't know the right word because I don't want it to come off the, the wrong way, but it gives you that extra thrill of getting that guy out so that when you do, you can fist pump and get excited and get into it or – a guy that hits the home run for you and you're st- sitting on the bench, like you get to roar, get into it. Like, ex- you know, you're super excited. Like that's, to me, that's what it's all about when you have those fans. So I want to make sure I do everything I can to interact with them. All right, Derek, I want to go back earlier in your career. Uh, well, you, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, your fiance and, uh, and, and Tara's great. Everyone who knows you and knows her is super excited for you guys uh, early in your career, you were engaged, and, and that broke off. And I'm just curious, I, I think, I guess, first of all, how did you grow from that? And, and second of all, I just think, like, a lot of times fans take for granted that, uh, you know, you guys aren't robots, and you deal with life challenges just like anyone else, and you also have to still perform uh, at a high level while that stuff's going on. What? How did you grow from that? What was that experience like, and, and who were the people that, that helped you kind of get through that uh, when, when, you know, when that took place? Well, I won't go too much into detail uh, of that just because it, uh, it could create more drama, I guess, or whatever. But it wasn't a healthy living environment, and that's the thing that people don't realize is you, know, you never want to take your work home, and you never want to take your work to the field. I mean, your home to the field. And... Thank you for Don Coxing, who was there, who talked me through everything, uh, helped me go through it. I was going through a tough time. Um, I ended up losing, I want to say it was around 20 to 30 pounds in one month uh, just because I was stressing out so much that, you know, I was dealing with a lot of issues. And for me, gosh, this is so tiring. For me, it was just... uh, one of those things that I had to try to find a way to kind of keep myself focused on the field and not let that be a distraction. Um, it's just like you were saying, you gotta, you gotta maintain all of that and not let that carry on to the field. And to me, I felt like that was one of the things that, you know, Don Coxing was doing was taking care of me, keeping me locked in, doing games to keep me focused on the field and focused on what was important and not letting the, off the field drama kind of happened. And again, like I said, he did so much for me and helped me out that it was huge. So that anytime I ran into a challenge like that again, you know, he was able to help me out. And I think that was, that was huge having him. And I also had teammates that were on my side and helping me get through all that stuff and <clears throat> it made me a better person. And it was great. You know, I, I learned a lot from that and I'm very thankful for the people that were there for me and, and helped me get through it. All right, I want to go to last year. I know we're we're bouncing all over the place, and and and, and first of all, thanks for I, you know okay. I know that's not a, a a shining time of your life. I appreciate you you kind of taking us inside of that a little bit. Uh, no, no, I mean that's part of it. That's you know there's it's like you said, people think that we're robots and we just live these perfect lives, and 
<laughs> it's far from it. I mean, cool, you have money, cool, you have all this or whatever, but there's also things that make it a lot harder too. It's not just just because you have money and you get to play the dream job doesn't mean it's everything's a piece of cake or I live a happily ever after life or it's perfect. It's not. It's never that way. There's a lot of guys that deal with a lot of things in the game of baseball. All right, so last year you're with the Giants, and there was an incident. First of all, I think one of the awesome things about you is you're not afraid to, to speak your mind and say what you believe. Uh, and, you know, 99 times out of 100, that's in support of people, that's uh, getting someone else's back, that, that's being there for someone. Uh, the last year, you know, I think it was probably a frustrating situation, and you came out and, and said you weren't happy with the way the Giants were handling you, and one of the things that, that came up was that they had, had placed you on the injured list even though you, you weren't really hurt, and, and that's something that you know could happen from time to time. But uh, what, what led you to just to that boiling point where you felt like you needed to say that? Because I, I know you didn't say that thinking that it was just going to be swept under the rug. Uh, I know you're smart enough that, you know, by saying that, you knew someone was going to see that and kind of follow up on that. So what what kind of got you to that point where you just felt like, hey, I, I got to say something because the way this is all being handled is just not right? Uh, for me, it was just frustrating because I had spent the past three years keeping myself healthy after going through three years of absolute hell with being hurt. And to me, it was just upsetting because, yeah, I get it. I was not pitching very well. I'm not afraid to admit that. And when things aren't going well, that's that's kind of how it is. I mean, if they were going to release me, they should have released me or whatever the case may be. And it just sucked because it was one of those things that just because I wasn't pitching very well, they were trying to find, you know, what to do. So they put me on the, the injured reserve, whatever you want to call it. And so how this all started, though, is we were doing bunting drills and we were doing a little crazy thing uh, of bunting, uh, just kind of work on distractions, stay focused on what we were trying to do. And sure enough, I got hit by one of the balls while I was bunting, but I, and it was my throwing hand. And I was A-OK. Like, I came out, I, was th- I kept throwing bullpens. It had already been plenty of time passed. Like, that happened in spring training. And then now after we're, you know, a month and whatever it was, two weeks into the season, you know, I wasn't pitching very well. And that's kind of part of it. I mean, sometimes you just you have good weeks, and then sometimes you have a couple bad weeks. You just got to figure it out. The hardest thing to do in this game is to be consistent and, and trusting your own stuff. And for me, I was trying to find that consistency of keeping everything right and, and going that in that route. Excuse me. And finally, they called me into the office and was like, hey, you know, we'd like to put you on the injured reserve. Or sorry, we're going to put you on the injured list uh, so we can make room because we're getting kind of beat up which they all knew because I did this the year before. I said I would bounce back and forth. If you need me to start and go into the bullpen, I'll gladly do it. I have no issues whatsoever doing that. And they just didn't want to do that. And I kept telling them, I was like, you guys don't understand. I've been working so hard to keep myself healthy after these past few years that I don't want to go on this DL. I don't, it's, it, it just gives me nightmares just going back thinking about it of, I'm going back to where I was. Now I'm hurt. Now I'm injury prone again. And I didn't want that on my record. And I kept telling them that, and there was nothing I could do. So they ended up putting me on it, and I couldn't really do too much about it. So I I dealt with it, and I went 10 days without really seeing the hitter. I was just throwing bullpens. And 
it just didn't make sense to me. I was not happy about that at all, uh, having to do it. And then finally, I had to go and face Colorado in Colorado and happened to be snowing. It was probably one of the worst games to ever to play in. But, you know, me, I'm not going to make an excuse. I mean, that's what it was. I went out there, I had to pitch and, and do my part. And unfortunately, I got my, my butt handed to me. I, I think I gave up eight runs in two innings, maybe. I mean, it was just bad. And after the game, you know, I, I was kind of going about it, and the media came and told me that, well, it sounds like that's going to be your last start. They're going to move you to the bullpen is what we're hearing. And I was like, well, that's, that, that's where it pushed me over the edges. I was hearing stuff from the media before I was getting to hear it from my own coach. And to me, that I don't like. That, that just shows a lack of communication. And there was nothing against Bochy because Bochy was probably by far the greatest, one of the greatest managers I've ever played for. Super straightforward, super nice guy. Always talked to me, always gave me answers that I wanted to hear. Not, sorry, I shouldn't say I want to hear, but he was always straightforward. He was not afraid to tell you the truth or any of that stuff. And again, I was very grateful for him. And I, you know, I couldn't say enough, but to be put in the position I was, I was like, man, after everything I was doing for you guys, bouncing back and forth, saving guys when we were in extra innings and we ran out of pitchers and we didn't have to use like, you know, a position player to go out there. Like, that's frustrating. And sure enough, they, they didn't care. They decided not to let me specifically know. And there's nothing I could really do to, to fight it um, by saying stuff. You know, when I said stuff to the media, saying I, was, I faked an injury, um, yeah, there was an MRI. So that's what kind of hurt me is they did get an MRI, but it was nothing to where, like, when we looked at it, everything was clean. Like, you could see for yourself that, I was perfectly fine. I was healthy. And so I was frustrated with that, having to deal with that situation. And that's where it like really crushed me the most is here I am, I'm taking a fake injury and I've done so much to help. Like I felt like if anything, like if I'm not performing, you do what you're supposed to do. You got to release me. That's what, that's the way it goes. The White Sox did an outstanding job. Like I started off really good with them and, I'm not going to lie. I started pitching really bad. They gave me a lot of chances to try to fix it. They put me in the bullpen to see if that would fix it. And I just didn't get the job done. I got released. And I know that Kurt, who was an outstanding pitching coach, helped me out so much. He did everything he could to help me. Same thing with uh, Matt Hurgis, who is now with the Diamondbacks. Those guys were working very, very hard with me to, to get me to get back on track. But unfortunately, things just weren't going my way. And Next thing I know, I finally was getting released. Um, that was also another interesting move, too, is they said they were going to release me. So I get put on the, the waiver wire and whatnot. And so I had, like, basically it's uh, 48 hours, I think, or a couple of days. I, I forget exactly, like, three days or whatnot. I forget the time frame it was but to, to get claimed. And so I stuck around San Francisco playing catch with one of my buddies, and then finally, they're like, well, we're actually not going to put you on that after it's already passed a few days. You're like, we're going to actually put you on this trade wire. So now you have up to, I think it's like a week uh, to sit on this wire, and they're going to try to find a team that will trade for me. So I literally was hanging out with no baseball for a week trying to figure out what to do. Finally, I came back to Texas. I was trying to throw to catchers, trying to find something to do, but it's so hard because everybody else is in season, and here I am, you know, back at home trying to figure out how I can play catch. And then finally, 
uh, the Cubs picked me up, and I was traded to the Cubs, and then it was back to normal. But, yeah, that was the whole – it was a weird situation to be put in. Um, I still respect the Giants. I have nothing against them. Uh, I was just upset that I had to be put on a an injured list when I truly was not hurt. And people look at me and say, well, you're – you're selfish for faking an injury. People don't understand how that works. Like, that's the thing. Like, I didn't fake an injury. It's they put me on the injured list, and I wasn't hurt. Like, that's the part that people don't understand. Is They like to make it seem like I'm the one that was faking the injury when I was clearly not hurt. All right, Derek, last question for you here in part two of our conversation. I imagine we'll end up having a part three. But uh, ten years from now, when you're no longer playing – or 20 years from now, whenever you're not playing. In what I, I think I know you'd like to stay in baseball. In what capacity would you like to be involved in, in baseball? Man, I made, uh, I made the joke with you before, saying like it'd be nice to get in the booth with you. Uh, I know me and you have talked about that, having some fun with that. But I definitely want to stick into baseball. Um, I don't know where it's going to take me. Uh, I've got other things that I kind of want to do, too. I kind of want to get into comedy i want to do some you know if i can tv or whatever you know i want to get into broadcasting i want to get into radio there, there's many options that i want to do and it's it's crazy to sit here and think about it because i've got plenty of time to do it right now but uh it's just one of those things i don't know where i'm going to end up i definitely want to coach um i do enjoy trying to pass as much knowledge of the game that i know to everybody else that's you know, younger and help them because I want to see more people get successful. I want to see people in the big leagues. And every time I go home and do my camps, you know, I'm trying to inspire my city to get more people in there. Because, I mean, there's there's only basically three people that are from my city that have made it uh, into an organization or into the big leagues. I mean, one of them is, and he played for the Cubs, so that was kind of cool to, to be able to have that uniform just like he did, was Woody English. Uh, he played in... 1913, I think. No, 1920s. Sorry, 1920s. And I want to just try to get more guys into the into the game. I want to get more people involved because you know it's we can all get there if we put our mind to it. We got to push ourselves. We got to practice. We got to be taught the right fundamentals. We got to you know do the basic things to get to where we are uh, in today and and help. And I think that's something that I would like to try to do is inspire guys. Um, it's just something that I think about and I enjoy is this game of baseball and I want to be able to get more involved and do more things with the game. 